now an entrepreneur. You can find him on social media. I highly recommend you follow him there. And um, speaking of social media, put the tweet out there this weekend. And having had the opportunity to talk with him on a podcast lately, I said, now there's a voice I want to hear with everything that's happening in the world right now. Let's bring him in. Cam Lynch on the block, ESPN Radio. How are you, sir? Doing great, Brent. How are you? I'm doing great, Cam. And as mentioned... Strolling the Twitter this weekend, and I see you put the call out there that you're ready to talk, ready to tell your story, specifically about growing up in the South as a black male, as an athlete. And I said, boy, there's a voice I want to hear on, on that story and so much more. So let me just start there, Cam. Like, with everything going on in the world right now, so many people speaking up, a, a, a movement that feels like it's real and something could really happen this time from this. Not that there has been progress to this point, but real tangible progress could come from this. What has been your view of all this? Like you said, uh, people are speaking out, and I, I took my time right last week to, to retweet, of course, to support everybody that was speaking out, but... Um, I waited till Saturday uh, to to say something because that's when I had an opportunity. Uh, I put a post out on Instagram, basically of my little sister. And, and Brent, when I say of my little sister, it, it goes to show that um, the youth will definitely be the the change. And so what she did was something for me that uh, that rocked my world, right? And at her graduation, she graduated magna cum laude, and. What she did was she took a knee during the anthem. And so, you know, for me personally, uh, playing for the Buccaneers, living in a military community, uh, when Colin Kaepernick took the knee, right, uh, Mike Evans sat, you know, sat during the uh, anthem, and, and, you know, Deshaun Jackson did, and they got death threats, right? And we have, we have a big military community, and they got death threats. So a lot of us were afraid, right, to stand up for what's going on right now, right? And you look back to Roger Goodell's statement, and he apologized to Colin Kaepernick uh, for not listening, right? And Colin Kaepernick was alienated. But um, as, as a black athlete, uh, Brent, you know, just playing in Tampa, uh, I live right next to the military base. And I do serve the military, right? I do go overseas and, and basically entertain and speak to uh, the military folks out in, in the Indian Ocean. Uh, and basically what she did for me, uh, she, she allowed me uh, confidence. She brought confidence. She brought uh, a different sense of understanding. And she, she took me during the anthem, and I took me as well for the first time. And, and let me break this down for you like this. Um, I, I didn't take a knee when Colin Kaepernick did, number one, because we were being bullied, right? As professional athletes, we were told, hey, by, by President 45, if they take a knee, fire them, right? And I'm an undrafted guy. I come from Syracuse, only six feet tall. So for me, I'm like, man, I don't want to lose my job, but I do know that something's wrong in this world, right? So uh, we, we fast forward to now. Um, we, we do get George Floyd. Uh, there, there was a knee on his neck, and um, that was a message sent, right? And um, a lot of people right now in Japan, South Korea, I mean, Australia, there's so many countries right now who are a part of this civil, this civil rights movement. You know, people are, are jumping in. People are feeling it now. And, and I'm at the point now where uh, my sister allowed me to take off that 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 politically correct, uh, you know, mask out that I was wearing and show and let people know that hey, I am black and I, and we are suffering. You know what I mean? Like I'm gonna have to take this knee so you know that hey, 
of the person that you saw in the media. You know, for me, I put the uh, yellow emoji, right, just to, just to make sure, make everybody comfortable, uh, you know, with what I'm putting out there, make sure I'm hitting each race group, each political group, uh, each religion. Uh, but now I, I want to put the, the brown one out there. You know, I'm going to put the brown one out there just to let people know, like, hey, uh, please join me. Uh, please understand where I'm coming from as a black male in America. It's tough, Brent. And so I, I know that was a lot. That was a mouthful. But um, really, you know, what I've been going through uh, as an athlete growing up in the South, being called the N-word during the game, right? I was a state champion in Georgia, uh, being called the N-word during the game, having opponents being called the N-word by my own teammates. Uh, it, it's a lot, Brent. There's a lot to unpack. It feels like there's a lot. The emotions coming from all sides on this, but particularly those most affected, as you mentioned, you know, black men, black women in this country, and, and the message they're trying to get out there. So as you see millions of people marching and joining you, the social media reaction has been incredible to watch. It has to be encouraging, but is there a part of you saying, are you skeptical at all that people are going to follow through on what they're on what they're saying right now? What's what's the next step in the process? I guess is the question. Well, yeah, the you know voting, of course, that that's number uno, right? Number uno, the voting. Number number two, laws being changed, and you know, as being a player in the NFL, we got messages uh, from our respective clubs, uh, hopefully to get some laws changed, and you know, you'll you'll see about that hopefully pretty soon here, but. Um, uh, getting laws changed, holding people accountable, right? Um, you know, one of my buddies was telling me he's protesting in Atlanta, and he said that it takes only six months for someone to become a police officer in Atlanta. Wow. And today, yeah, that's wild, right? And today I spoke with someone who was in the military, and he got shot by a sniper bullet and is now in a wheelchair. And I asked him, I said, hey, how long does it take for you to be prepared to go to, to deploy to Afghanistan? He said it took me about a year and some, a few months. And I'm like, okay, that, that doesn't add up, right? If you're upholding the law in the United States, it only takes you six months. And to actually fight for the country at a high level, it takes you a year and some change to train. And on top of that, to become a lawyer, it takes you about six to eight years. So it, it, there's an imbalance there. We need to train the police a little bit better. You know what I mean? We, um, uh, a quick story here. Um, through the, the Buccaneers, um, there was a social justice uh, committee in a group. So we went to the local police station out here in Tampa. And so uh, the police officer was giving his spiel, his speech, and he said, yeah, we, we, uh, we have this and we have that. We do our training. And so I went to the video, right? And a lot of times now cops have their body cams and people have their cameras. And I went to the video. I said, hey, excuse me, Mr. Sheriff, um, when it comes to video, you know, you described uh, police officers being very similar to athletes. As athletes, we watch film every day, right? We watch it every day. And if not, you're going to get cut because you're not going to be able to keep up with the game. Things are constantly changing. So I asked him, I said, how often do you all watch your body cam bit footage? He said, ah, well, you know, maybe once a, once a month. Brent, if you are going to be elite in what you do, you have to review. You have to go back and see what you did and correct it. They call it a hot wash, right? And so when you go back and, and look at what you've done, um, you get better. And, and they, they weren't doing that. So he turned a little red and he, he got a little frustrated. But I was like, you can't compare yourself to a professional athlete because we put time into this stuff and reviewing and getting better. And I didn't, see, I didn't see that with his process. So 
there's some things that need to be changed, man, with the process of training police officers, getting them prepared uh, to go out in the communities where that are uh, that are foreign to them. It's to some of them, you know. So yeah, there's there's a lot to be done. Cam Lynch is our guest, former Syracuse linebacker, of course, with the Bucks and Rams in the NFL as well. And Cam, something you just said there struck with me, and it's I wanted to ask you this question: in that you look at a football team. You put a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds in a room, and they work together for a common cause. Does it always work? No. But what are the lessons you take from that that we can apply to the real world? And I think the one you just came up with is a great example of the the story with the police officer there. But what other things did you learn in a football locker room about harmony and getting along and bringing different backgrounds together that I think can be applied now as this issue has come to the forefront? Brent, that's a great question. That's why you're an award-winning uh, broadcaster, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, thank you for that question. And really, uh, you know, when it comes to the society right now, right, um, people understanding the uh, other people, right? In a locker room, like you said, there's people from all over, Brent. Um, I, I went to Syracuse, and, and I'm going to get to kind of my tweet as in growing up in the South and then going, playing up in the North. Playing at Syracuse at a university, I mean, you get people from Miami, you get people from L.A., uh, from from the Midwest, and you get people from all over, and you're just learning what they like, what they don't like. One of my buddies last night, we're playing Call of Duty, uh, and he's a European male, and he said, you know what, Cam, I have never met someone who's African before until I went to Syracuse, you know? So now he's getting to learn the cultures and X, Y, and Z. So now I think what, what, the, what America needs, what the world needs, is that locker room vibe, right, amongst the people, community, um, these conversations that you would have never have had unless you, 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 sought, you sought that out. So, um, you know, now we're at the point, I saw something on, uh, on social media where four, four minorities were getting arrested, right? And um, the cops, they said, hey, we don't have a cause for this. Like, we were looking for somebody, you aren't it. And basically some bystanders were screaming across the street like, hey, you just said that you don't have a cause for arresting them. Why are they still here? Let them go. Let them go. And when I saw that, I was like, that's the locker room t- mentality that we need. If you see your teammate getting jacked up or being, being treated unfairly, get their back, right? And, and my last um, example of the locker room effect really is let's say you have a sibling, right? And let's say it's a foster, a foster brother or foster sister. Brown people right now in America are looked at uh, the foster brother or the foster sister. And, you know, a lot of times as a child, you know, I was the only child. I wanted my, my stuff for myself. And now what we have to get to is the people who aren't brown, those are the, the kids, and you have the foster kids. If the foster kids are hurting or getting beat up or, or getting spat on, make sure you protect your brother, protect your sister. You know what I'm saying? So that's kind of where I feel like we need to get to is where we're protecting each other uh, and we're helping each other out here in in the street or in business or wherever. Cam, put yourself back in the shoes of these football players who are actually reporting back to campus this week to get ready for the uh, training camp, off-season workouts beginning. And you were at Syracuse, and, and, and no different world, different situation, but they're in a unique uh, world now where things are happening around them. How comfortable do you think they should feel in using their platform as a student-athlete to, to speak out if they feel like they want to, in that sense? Yeah, Brent, that's another great question. I mean, wow, uh, touche, uh, bravo for you. But, um, you know, when it comes to that, the, 
right now they're in a position where they can speak out, right, use their platforms. And I do think it's on the AD. It's on the leadership at Syracuse University to make them feel comfortable. And when I was with the Buccaneers, you know, my head coach, he said, look, he said, you have, you have a couple of options. He said, you can do it or you cannot do it. But just know if you do it, there's, there's going to be consequences, right, when it comes to the community and death threats. But I think when it comes to Syracuse University, I think there should be – and the kids reporting back to school and campus and their platforms – having a blanket of protection. The community should be able to protect them and let them know, hey, speak out, use your rights, and let people know what you're going through emotionally, what you're going through physically and personally, because um, that's that's what it's supposed to be about, right? That's our, our First Amendment. That's what's in the Constitution. And so I think it is on the Syracuse University to allow the students to feel comfortable, to feel safe, to express themselves. Cam, you mentioned when you were at the Bucks and some great examples there of, you know, the when this first came on the scene with Colin Kaepernick and the emotion that was there then, it's incredible to me in this world where stories can come and go in 10 minutes that you say that name and people still four years later have an immediate reaction and opinion on that. Now, here we are four years later, the commissioner of the National Football League put out his statement that I'm sure you saw, the collective video of the players putting out their statement that I'm sure you saw, and it feels like there's a sea change there. How do you feel about that, considering how players that spoke out four years ago were treated? Yeah, um, you know, when it comes to what the commissioner put out there, um, you know, I don't know if you've been reading, but actually somebody who worked in the NFL actually put pressure for him to do that. I saw that. Right? Yeah, and, and that's awesome because that goes to show, like, that person who did that, they weren't afraid. They weren't afraid to lose their job. They were like, you know what, I'm going to go out on a limb here and, for, and force the issue. And so what I think, um, you know, Back then, you know, back then things were, were, were tough, right? It was tough to come out and, and be bold. But but now people, you know, this generation that did social media, people aren't afraid anymore, man. And I think we're seeing something uh, awesome, a, a shift, hopefully. We get some laws changed. Uh, people are starting to have empathy for for the brown folk, and that's something that, uh, that really excites me, man. So, um, you know, once we get that empathy, that compassion for each other, I think uh, I think things are going to look up. Cam, being from Georgia, as as you brought up, there's actually an election in that state today, and I've seen some complications, some voting machines not working, and some problems there. So my message to people in Georgia is: hang in there, be patient, get your voice heard today through these frustrations. But it seems like this has been an epicenter of a lot of these discussions. Atlanta certainly has a rich history of this discussion. So how how does that kind of add into how you feel and, and, and your ability to speak out, being from somewhere where this is this has been a discussion for years and it always seems to come back to Atlanta and come back to Georgia in some way? Man, you know what? Um, it's crazy. I, I sent my absentee ballot. I had an absentee ballot. And I, you know, a lot, a couple times it got rejected because of something in the system, right, where I'm playing for the Buccaneers and I sent my absentee ballot and it got rescinded or something happened where my vote didn't go, you know, and, and that, that's very frustrating, similar to what they're feeling now. And so really, um, you know, hopefully somebody in the leadership position can, can figure this out. You know what I'm saying? When it comes to voting, uh, when it comes to having the voice, um, you know, you know, laws have to be changed, man, and, and things have to change because that's not fair. If 
we're getting rescinded and our votes are getting bounced back and, and machines aren't working like that. That's not cool. It, it's, it's very frustrating. So, um, you know, I do hope that, well, you know, the brown folks can get some help, you know, get some help in regards to, to voting and, and having a voice because, you know, it, it, silence is dangerous. And, and in regards to, let's say, um, for, for women in general, right, uh, equal pay. Uh, I was watching something last night about, uh, the number one draft pick in the WNBA we got $60,000, you know, and it's upon the men to speak up and say, hey, uh, they need a boost, right? And it's on people who aren't brown to say, hey, the brown folks are, are hurting. They need a boost. So that's what it's going to take is for people to boost uh, uh, the dialogue. Cam, final question for you. In, in a time where somebody like me as a white person who, you know, can – hear your story, but I can't relate to what you're saying in the sense of discrimination and, and the way my life has gone versus how yours has gone. But what I can certainly do is listen in to how I can help. So I know that's kind of a broad question, but in a time right now where we're looking at this and saying, what can I do to help this? What is something that I can do to help and people out there listening can do to help that that's tangible, that's, that's easy to do, that's something that going forward they can do to, to bring this forward in a positive way? Yeah, I think what you can do, Brent, is definitely push the message, right? And what Eric, Eric Weddle did this, he's the safety for the Los Angeles Rams, and I saw a video. He was out, he was out with, the, you know, with the protesters, and he gave a speech. He said, look, he said, right now, it's not about us, as in people who aren't brown. It's not about money. It's not about the flag. It's not about any of that. Right now, it's about our foster brother and sister, the brown folks, and we have to help them out. And so for you, um, you know, anything that, that brown folks are, are, are shouting about um, that, we're, that we're calling and crying out for, I think for you to echo that, uh, Brent, to echo that and make sure that we're okay, make sure that your brothers and sisters are okay um, so we can move forward, man, and uh, help get these laws changed, help help fight for what's right. You know, um, and I think uh, if you join arms, man, that's that's the best thing that we, that we can see get done. Cam, it's great to hear your voice. I really appreciate your perspective on all this. And when I saw you uh, reach out on social media saying you want to get that voice out there, I, I was glad to hear it. And you know you've got a platform to do it anytime you want here on this show. But uh, continue doing what you're doing in your space as well. And uh, we'll definitely catch up down the road, my friend. Brent, the award-winning Brent, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Cam. Good to hear your voice, buddy. That's So the players that will be in the stadium, scheduled to be later this fall, reporting to campus as uh, put out by SU today. So what's this going to look like? What's the procedure? How are these players coming back? And still in a world where you go to the store to get bread and soda and crackers and <laughs> generic name products, you see people wearing masks. People are getting back to work here at the, the Galaxy Media headquarters, downtown Syracuse. It's been great to see people back at work, slowly but surely. And it's still jarring in a way to see people in masks. We have to do it. Let's continue to do it. But it's still something that you never quite get used to. So to see Tommy DeVito on campus today, by the way, to... Uh, how can I put this? To quote an old SNL skit, hey, Tommy, how much you bench? My man is jacked. But to see DeVito and other players walking around campus with masks, it's still jarring. It'll be the new normal. It's something we have to get used to until tangible progress is made here with the vaccine and, and people feel 
that these procedures can ramp down a little bit. But what's this going to look like, feel like, and how's it going to go? Well, some details on that starting to come through. Now, Dino Babers is going to do a little Zoom call with the media later this week. Thanks, Brent. Thank you, Coach. John Wildhack is going to do the same along with Herm Frazier. We're going to have Wildhack on the show Thursday at 5.30. A lot to discuss with the SUAD then. Haven't heard from him in a while. He's going to do a Zoom call as well. So we'll start to get more answers to a lot of questions out there, but how many answers are there when some of this is unknown? Per a release from Syracuse, here's what it starts to look like in the early stages. Members of the Syracuse University football program back on campus underwent testing for COVID-19 this morning. Tests were administered at the Ensley Athletic Center a day after approximately 65 football student-athletes returned to Central New York. So 65 players back on campus. for These are voluntary workouts, the normal summer back on campus, seven-on-sevens and the players working with themselves. They can't get instruction from coaches right now, but this is a good sign of football taking the steps necessary to start on time for camp, therefore start the season on time, which is September 4th at Boston College. Colleges across the country doing the same thing, and now we kind of play the waiting game. What happens if and when there's a positive test and how we go from here? Uh, as noted here, uh, where do we leave off? Do, 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 do. A day after approximately 65 football student-athletes returned to Central New York to work with the program strength and conditioning coaches and access Syracuse's athletic facilities for voluntary workouts, approximately 130 student-athletes, coaches, football staff members, and Department of Athletic staff members were tested. And they've got a quote there from Aaron Service. 37 career starts, part of an offensive line, of course, that's got a lot of work to do with pretty much the same core of players back, short one or two guys. You know, Sam Hackle not back, a couple names, but a lot of the familiar names on an offensive line that uh, was constantly in flux, suffered a number of injuries last year, and will have the brightest spotlight shined upon it this upcoming season. So just to reiterate, what happens now is they get tested quarantined if necessary. They then get grouped into pods. They're only allowed contact with members of their pod, including staff assigned to said pod, during phase one. In the second and third phases of the plan, which are likely to be implemented next month, the small group pods will grow in size, first to include up to 30 student-athletes, and then eventually entire units and ultimately the full team. So it's they're 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 easing into the water here. They're testing the water, they're dipping their toe in the water, then they get on the step and that feels good and they get on the second step. Oh, now we're getting waist high. Water feels different now. Get used to that. Weigh it in a little bit more. So uh, social distancing in place, protective equipment including face masks must be used in all athletic facilities. Masks may not be required during workouts, but student-athletes are expected to maintain social distancing, all shared equipment cleaned and sanitized, and it's a lot of the same procedures that you're seeing at different places of work and just this kind of new world that we're in. But when you think back to Rudy Gobert, March 12th, next day, Syracuse basketball canceled against North Carolina. The ACC tournament shut down. The NCAA tournament shut down. Sports shut down, entering that, oh my God, 
where we hadn't kind of whirled the unanswered questions there for a bit of time. It's amazing how we sit here on June 9th, and we're coming out of it. The plan is there. It's not a matter of procedure. Like, they have the procedures down. It's not a matter of can sports come back. We've learned it can. It's just a matter of, well, what happens now? Right, The NBA has its plan to return. Hockey has its plan to return. But we haven't seen that in action. This is just workouts. This is not an official football function. It's not what happens during a season if a player tests positive. What happens then? It's different at the college level. At the NBA level, what they can actually do with a plan they have is they have players on standby. G League players players not on rosters, whatever the case may be, that they can just kind of pluck in in case a guy tests positive. Hockey's got AHL players that can step up here. What if a key player on your football team tests positive on a Thursday for a big game? How's that going to go? What's the procedure going to be? There's a lot of what-ifs and things that we cannot answer until they happen here. The best you can do is go with the information you have, the procedures put into place, and let's see what's happening. Now, for the most part, the sports that are playing NASCAR, it's certainly easy to social distance, and they've got procedures in place, and all seems to be going well. Golf is coming back this week, a sport that's easy to social distance, certainly, the participants, but you've got a lot of people that are on the television crews, the support staff, the officials. It's an outdoor sport. So that would seem to go well. The Tiger Phil event of a, a couple of weeks back, the one before that with Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, and, and everybody that participated in that went well. Korean baseball, we've heard about some players testing positive, and but for the most part, there's exceptions to all rules here, and some participants have tested positive, and it's just kind of the world we live in now. But we haven't heard it like an abrupt, got to shut it down, can't do it kind of thing. An act plan B. Like, the ease back in so far has been good. We're now at the point where we're angry again about players and owners bickering in baseball. And the opportunity lost there versus can they even play baseball. So that feels like tangible progress. That feels like we're coming out of it. Ultimately, this won't end until there's a vaccine and... Who knows when that's going to be? We're getting conflicting information from the World Health Organization, who we thought yesterday put out a statement that asymptomatic transmission of COVID-19 is, quote, very rare. They walked that back big time today. So we don't even the authorities on this are trying to find their way through this, which, by the way, when you have a new virus, although a coronavirus and known in some ways, but we're all kind of figuring this out together, even the experts, which leaves a lot of people frustrated, right? But the sight of Tommy DeVito in that picture, the sight of football players, at least on campus, as opposed to when are they coming back? How can they come back? Will they come back? You'll take that over the alternative, right?